With us today is the uh, 42nd president of the United States of America, Bill Clinton. And uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, you've been out of office for 23 years. You miss it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It seems like it was only yesterday, but it has been a long time. It's like asking. Had a good time, you know. It's like asking Mickey Mantle, does he miss uh, playing center field for the New York Yankees? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the first thing I noticed was after I left office for about three weeks, I didn't know who I was anymore because they never played a song when I walked in the room. <laughs> Every time the president walks in the room, they play "Hail to the Chief," <laughs> so I had to get used to that. As soon as I did, I I've enjoyed it. I like living up here in Chappaqua. I like my neighbors. I like I've liked working in New York and all over the world on you know problems that I could still help with. So it's been a it's been a great run for me. I never. Uh, when I left, I never thought I'd live this long. I'm the oldest man in my family for three generations. Well, you got good. And doctors. if I make it another year, I'll make it four generations. Well, I hope we both make. I hope we both make it to a hundred, and uh, that that's something. Uh, you know, President Carter, uh, they they sold him short, and he's still going uh, strong. Yeah, he's amazing. He's a tough guy. He uh, he gets down, and then he comes back. Yep. And uh, I remember uh, when you were leaving office, our, our, our discussion, I tried to talk to you into running for mayor of the city of New York, the second most important job of, of our country. And you thought about it for about 10 seconds before you said no. <laughs> well, I didn't want to complicate Hillary's life. <laughs> well, yes. Was, you know, just taking office in the Senate. And I love New York City, and I have... I uh, love trying to help mayors. I've, I've, I tried to help uh, Mayor Bloomberg in the beginning. Briefly, I tried to help Mayor de Blasio, but he was, he decided that he was, I think, more progressive than he thought I was, <laughs> whatever that means. And then I, I've enjoyed trying to help Mayor Adams. And I, now, I think that, you know, we, yes, I, I think we ought to listen to Mike Bloomberg on how he suggested this immigration thing should be handled. Well, my suggestion to uh, immigration, uh, you know, uh, you remember the days when me, me and Bill Fugazi were, he, Bill Fugazi was chairman of Ellis Island and I was vice chairman. Uh, and uh, I suggested to Mayor Adams he should take um, Ellis, uh, not Ellis Island, take uh, Rikers Island, change the name to Ellis Island too, and vet everybody that's coming in because... I believe in immigration. A lot of people believe in immigration, but we also believe that these people sh should be vetted uh, for the safety of our uh, citizens. Uh, well, I agree with that. The uh, The real problem they've got now in an emergency is that is not the people that were sent up here from Florida and, and uh, Texas, by and large, it's the huge number of Venezuelans who have showed up because of the collapse of the Venezuelan economy. And under American law, going back for decades, I mean, way before any of this current fight started, uh, we have always had a blanket 
offer of entry into America for people who have a reasonable fear for the lives and safety of their families and themselves. And so a lot of the Venezuelans can easily make that case, but they they come in here, and under the current law, they have to wait six months for a work permit. Now, very few of them do. About 80% of the people who come to New York and to Massachusetts, the two states with right-to-shelter laws within the state, although I see Governor Huckle thinks it should be modified, and it probably should under the current circumstances. It's just because they come up here and we're supposed to shelter people who can't get work permits for six months. And there's just no... We need to change that. We need to... uh, they want to work, they need to be working, paying taxes, and paying their way. And most of these people have no interest in being on welfare for themselves or their families. They want to work, and they're not allowed to under the system as it now works. It's broken, and we need to fix it. We need to rush through these things. And because all these people, I mean, even in Florida, where the climate seems to be hostile, uh, there's a very large number of immigrants working uh, to help clean up after storms, because Florida has so many of them. And they go in and clean the house, sort what's savable and what's not, and help people get started again. And they work for Lord knows what they get, uh, maybe a 100 bucks a day or something. But uh, Ms. it it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And uh, I, I thought that President Biden had uh, moved up the system for uh, Venezuela where they would be able to uh, get the proper treatment uh, immediately. But uh, I, 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 haven't, I haven't heard in the last few days. Yeah, he's trying to do that. And probably somebody will sue him and say you can't do it for one group and not another. But I think that you know we need to be very practical here. And and uh, we need to do more like what the Canadians do, where the, they take a large number of immigrants, but they go where they're needed and where they're wanted. And so they don't have – they still have some controversies over immigration, but nothing like what we have here. And uh, if you look at uh, – upstate New York is full of places where there's a labor shortage. And uh, uh, we we do need people. Where That's people why people would be welcome as long as people thought they were safe and they were working, and they were vetted like an, like they did in Ellis Island. Yeah. I know my my grandfather's came through Ellis Island, and uh, uh, my his brothers came through Ellis Island, and it's the people want the proper vetting. Uh, to make sure that, uh, uh, that we're not bringing in criminals and drug dealers, etc. Yeah, and they have a right to that. Uh, yes. And, I, I you know, and so far, even though there are people who have highlighted every crime committed by an immigrant as if they're all criminals, the truth is that the crime rate among immigrants, and we don't have any numbers on this latest rush, but before that, the crime rate among immigrants is half that of the native-born, and the small business formation rate was twice that of the native-born. And if the American people understood that, uh, they wouldn't be reflexively anti-immigration. I'm not sure they are anyway. They just want to know that there's a vetting process and that the, the American law doesn't actually 
keep people from working, which it does if it if you have to wait six months for a permit. So the President Biden's trying to fix that, at least where the Venezuelans are concerned, because there's no question that the whole country has been consumed by the collapse uh, of effective and uh, security and government in the Maduro uh, administration. So we'll see what happens. I think we're getting there, but we really we have a negative birth rate in America. Our birth rate is now down to 1.7 kids per 100,000, and that's you have to have 2.1 to hold your population constant. And uh, so if you if that happens, the only way you can keep your economy growing is either with uh, immigrants or machines. Because you can't wait 18 years, even if we all started having babies again now. You know, like I said, we're all, me and you agree to 110%. I mean, immigration, yes. And let's just have a little bit of checks and balances of who we're bringing in. Uh, and, uh, and and the other thing I was concerned about, uh, uh, some of the countries were emptying out their hospitals and sending uh, uh, all their AIDS patients in, and they told them, go to New York, they're going to cure you. But I, I would hate to, to have a problem uh, when they got to New York if with our own gay population with them. Yeah, well, we had a little problem with that when I became president with Haiti, and we fixed it. And uh, and when I was a governor, they briefly overwhelmed the system, and and they were all taken into America and either put in a high-rise hospital that was a semi-prison in Georgia or sent to camps where those who had mental problems uh, or who wanted to cause trouble caused a lot of trouble until we fixed it. So you, you, But there, the numbers are staggering now because we have more cross-border travel by people in trouble than we've had since World War II. And so we just, we don't have, we the system is built to handle about 400,000 people a year. And there's, a, you know, many times that coming in. And so we should build more housing just over the Rio Grande River and uh, on in Mexico, I think, would support that and keep people there and then let them in as quickly as possible if they're going someplace where we know they can get a job and they'll be welcome. Uh, agreed. Checks and, and balances. Uh, we Ellis Island used to bring in 10,000 carpenters if we need them, 10,000 bricklayers if we need them, uh, 10,000 uh, electricians if we need them. Uh, but right now there's there's a little bit of chaos. Yeah, my, up here in just in where I live in Westchester County, we have a lot of immigrants who seem to be adjusted and well-received and and working alongside, uh, you know, other people who are from all over the world. Like the, my local deli is 
owned by a German who's nearly 90 and is run by his daughter and granddaughter. And he has Polish-Americans, all kinds of people, and then a lot of people who are largely from the Dominican Republic and Central America, so, and they do well, but they're all properly vetted. They all have, you know, they're all documented, and they do well, and they, they get along, and they work hard, and that's, that's what we need in America, but you can't do it with a system that is not well manned and where there are not enough facilities along the border. And that system and has to be fixed, that, I agree. And, and chaos has been very beneficial for the Republicans recently, but in the long run it's not a it's not a good system. You gotta have a, you gotta build something that works. And oh, by the way, the Mr. World President is, Go ahead. What? I was going to say, oh, I remember, uh, Mr. President, that uh, if I gave you a nickel for every time I mentioned your name a lot with Newt Gingrich, when you bought, brought down, the, the two of you brought down the deficit from $5.5 trillion down to $5 trillion, you guys worked in concert so well. Why can't we work like that together now? Well... I hope we will be able to. I kept hoping after this last election, the 2022 election was very interesting because uh, the Democrats won in places where people were really worried about the loss of a woman's right to choose. And so the repeal of Roe v. Wade backfired badly on the right wing of the Republican Party that had been pushing for it for so long. But the Democrats lost enough seats in New York because of a reaction to the crime problem here and their sense that we didn't have, we, my party, didn't have a good common sense approach to it, that they were able to beat enough congressmen here to get a, like a five-vote majority in the House. But what the, Repub what the country was saying is, okay, we may be polarized, but we don't want you guys to be. We, the, the swing vote is for common sense and solving problems. Uh, it may agreed. be small, but it's decisive, and it's the thing that has kept this country going for well over 200 years now, and we're going to have to get it back. Agreed 100%. And, uh, you know, uh, people worry. We were talking about Venezuela. We were talking about Dominican Republic and Haiti. And we're going to talk about uh, CGI, all the good stuff uh, that CGI is doing. But on Venezuela, in 20 short years, because of the socialist problem, Venezuela went from the wealthiest country in, in South America, the fifth wealthiest country in the world, down to just as bad as uh, Cuba. Well, Chavez, Hugo Chavez really messed him up. And he was, you know, charismatic, and he talked a good line. And I remember um, I could see it coming, and I was so alarmed that I invited him to come visit me in the White House before he was inaugurated. And uh, 
my brother-in-law, who had been in Columbia in the Peace Corps, went to his inauguration, and, and along with whoever went from our government, and we you know we tried, but I told him I said, you know, you, you're going to have to decide how to find your your greatness, and it's just, you know telling everybody else that they're wrong trying to basically spend your way into uh, permanently holding the office, you're going to have real problems. The whole world is pulling and wants to help. And he goes, I'll go it alone, do it my way. And he got in trouble, and then he got sick and passed away. And his successors seem to be like him without a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a serious problem. And, and, and a lot of Americans, in my discussion with a lot of Americans, is I'm worried about America going closer to that system of what we're, the, the, what Venezuela went through. And, and I worry about making the 270, the 300th year anniversary in 2076. But, you know, I worry not about me and you on that. I worry about our kids and grandkids to come. we can control is what we do now and right now we've got a real opportunity to settle things down and start moving forward again and we have some problems which one that i started CGI again last year and we've now had it two years in a row after not having it from 2016 forward uh until 2022 is that uh when New York started to come alive again after COVID and we were all having, if we wanted to go to restaurants, we basically had to eat outside. If you remember on the street and these little cubicles and one night and I were having dinner with another couple and two people I didn't know walked by and just blurted out. You ought to bring back CGI. We need something we can work together on. CGI. We, I was there when you first started in 2005. You started CGI, Clinton Global Initiative, to put the world closer together, to put, the, the, to put common sense in, uh, in your leadership because of the respect you have and, and, uh, of putting in things that will help the world. You, would you like to turn our conversation to CGI now? Yeah, sure. Tell us. I'm, I was there when you started well, it. Uh, yeah, well, we, I started it because I kept going to these meetings that I really enjoyed, and they still have them all over America. You know, these I'd be asked to, uh, particularly to go to Aspen to the Ideas Festival, but also to go to Davos every year. I think I went virtually every year from 2000, and when I went as president, through 2011, and um, it's very helpful. It's nice having all these important people get together and talk and mix with leaders of countries around the world and keep up with what's going on, but no one ever asked anybody to do anything, and so when we started talking about it, uh, when I got back home, my staff and I, and, 
one of them thought it would be a good idea to have a CGI, I mean, a Davos-like meeting in New York around the UN because all these world leaders would be there. And he thought we could get a lot of people there and actually make some money to defray the other costs of our foundation work around the world. And I said, I'll do that, but I'm not interested in another talk fest. I want people to promise to do something as a condition of coming back. And we started with this idea that we had a, a fee, an entry fee that was like $20,000, but that was modest by Davos standards. And I thought, well, would anybody pay $20,000 to brave Manhattan traffic during UN week to be asked to spend more time and money on something else? But it turned out a lot of people wanted to do it. And most of them were people who never even got invited to Davos, but a lot of people who did wanted to do it. And so it was a, it, it, we started off where people were just writing down their commitments on note cards, and within a couple of years, the commitment section of the CGI staff was the biggest part of it, and we worked year-round helping people to develop their commitments and then to meet them. But it had an amazing impact. And when we stopped in 2016, which I had to do because Hillary was running for president, so if she won, I couldn't do it in that format because it couldn't be done without sponsors who included non-Americans. And I couldn't do that if she was in the White House. And if Donald Trump won, I was certain that he would punish anybody who supported it. And so, so... we didn't do it, and then after the 2020 election, and and the and then the sense of enormous relief people had when we started coming out from the COVID closures, I said, "Well, we'll give it another try." And we've had two good years, and we now can document more than 500 million people who've been helped in one way or the other with a job, to start a business, to to improve healthcare, you name it because of CGI, and we haven't cost the government any money except where they chose to participate with us in something. Like Hillary, I'll give you an example. One of the biggest problems in poor countries has been the danger of cooking inside with wood or charcoal. And so... We started this clean cook stove initiative with Hillary uh, when she was there in the State Department. And all of a sudden, we had 200 million of them out there. And it was saving lives. And there were people who were healthier. They weren't breathing in the smoke. And uh, a friend of mine in the Dominican Republic just brought... uh, beautiful little island that's really a peninsula off from the northeast coast of the Dominican Republic that has only about 400 permanent residents, had no power at all. They had to import propane. And he went in and solarized the island and gave them all clean cook stoves. So so it sounds like a little thing, but it's not a little thing if you don't have it. And... So if you do that stuff every day, if you have the patience to do it, you can run up the score. 
Oh, I'll give you another example. We did, after the 2008 collapse, when, um, you know, our economy was in such trouble, we did a CGI just for America for about five years. And it was very interesting. We The two most interesting commitments were the AFL-CIO joined with, uh, led by the Randy Weingarten and the building trades unions convinced other unions to put a portion of their pension funds into creating jobs in America. And we built an infrastructure fund that they originally started with $10 billion and wound up raising $16 billion, and they've already spent over $15 billion of it and created well over 100,000 jobs, including 15,000 jobs during the LaGuardia Airport modernization. And it didn't cost anybody anything. It, it made good money for the pension funds. They just started doing something that made sense. And when President Obama said we needed 100,000 more STEM teachers in our schools and we couldn't get enough qualified people, the Carnegie Corporation joined originally with a dozen other partners and eventually had more than 25 and said, oh, we'll do that. We'll raise the money to do that. And they more than beat their goal of 100,000 teachers within just a few years. They just did it. It's got people to say, that makes sense. We'll do that. That makes sense. And so those teachers are out there now. And those are the kinds of things that we could be doing every single day if we just thought about what needs to be done and how we could do it. I've been amazed, if you begin with the end in mind, how many good things you can do. And this year we did it. We uh, Pope Francis opened the CGI this year by coming in from the Vatican on Zoom, and he talked about a children's hospital uh, that they've built uh, partly to take care of children injured in Ukraine in the war. And all of a sudden, the <clears throat> St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis, which is an amazing thing that not enough Americans know about, that, you know, never charges anybody anything, although almost all the families give about 30 bucks a month to, to save their kids' lives. It's has a huge cure rate for children's cancer. And they're trying to help them now staff up, get going, handle more kids. Uh, when, when people get together and they agree on the end, it's amazing how quickly they figure out what to do about it. I remember when the Ebola outbreak started in Africa, uh, a company called Direct Relief and several others knew what was going to happen, and so they got together before CGI started, just before it started, and sent a massive amount of protective gear and other essential items to these countries so people could work on this problem and not get killed themselves. And we wound up sending, I think, five huge plane loads to West Africa, and 
it had a big impact. And, you know, so at home and around the world, there are all kinds of things that we can do just because they make sense and nobody figures out how to do it. I mean, uh, half the time when we talk about politics, we major in the minors because everybody's trying to get a headline and nobody can stand any problem that requires more than two things to solve. And most problems do. I understood. And how many countries has CGI been in and, and helped? 180. That's more than 180. We've done something. You know, obviously not in all 180. They haven't all been big things, but they've been something in 100, more than 180 countries. And then in other in countries, uh, some we've done some huge things. I'm in the little country of Guyana in northeast the section of south america just above brazil they're now going to be a very rich country because they found massive natural gas uh off the coast but they didn't have a lot of money and they didn't want their rainforest torn down they knew it would be a bad thing for the world but also for them and so the Rockefeller Foundation gave us some money to start, and uh, the Norwegian government promised to pay them carbon credits if they would keep the trees up and plant more, and they did. And, and most people think it's the best avoided deforestation and reforestation program that any country ran. And I, it was amazing. And I saw the new president at CGI, and he came up and said, you know, they still talk about what they did and how proud they are that we've taken care of our country. So we do, there's just so many things we can do if we just do it together. And uh, agreed. Uh, Mr. President, I, I must say this. You're doing God's work. And... Uh, uh, helping people in 180 countries. And I, I understand we can't wave a magic wand and help all of them, uh, but we, we are helping as many as we can possibly get to. Uh, I understand in the last uh, uh, few weeks uh, you were trying to solve a problem uh, in, uh, uh, in Haiti. Uh, and Haiti is a gigantic problem. Uh, the um, Ray Kelly, who you sent there originally, uh, was practically crying on one of my radio shows on how the people in Haiti are suffering. And I understand you also have a problem with the Dominican Republic and its neighbor. What can you tell us about that? Well, well, first of all, we did a lot of good in Haiti for a long time, and then the when the president who was president during the earthquake, Rene Proval, finished uh, his term and had to leave office, and Mr. Martelli was elected, he kept his big promise, which was to put a small tax on Haitians for the, for the international phone calls they made, and to use that tax to uh, basically eliminate the cost of going to school for Haitian children. And in the process, to try to eliminate the so-called Restavec system, which is horrible, where 
poor Haitian families would basically indenture their children, and mostly to other Haitians, with money, often in the United States. But these people, these, these kids, it was like they were signing their futures away so their brothers and sisters could go to school. And, and it largely worked. That is, it was successful. But almost nothing else did because they allowed uh, corruption and deal-making to get back into housing construction and other things. And uh, so then they elected a new newcomer named Moise, and he basically got himself assassinated. It was very, it was tragic. And he had no support in the parliament. So the, the Haiti's been dysfunctional now for several years. And then uh, after the death of the uh, president, it it was it got worse. And then these gangs moved into the vacuum, where normally a country's police or military would stop it. And the, the Haiti used to be a pretty good partner in the in the in the drug wars and helping us keep drugs out of America, but. They lost all capacity to deal with that, and these people actually stopped food and medicine from coming into Haiti and being properly distributed uh, without being paid bribes at the airport. They cut the airport off from the capital city for a while, and so it's been a mess. And the Dominican Republic tried to help. They took a lot of Haitians, and they employ a lot of Haitians near the Haitian border. But now they're in a big squabble over <laughs> over a little thing. You couldn't make this up. There's a river that borders the Dominican Republic and Haiti that forms the border for about 25 kilometers, and about five kilometers is clearly in Haiti. And some poor farmers up there thought they would be able to irrigate their land if they could build a canal and siphon off some of the water, which was, uh, as I understand it, not legal. But they wanted—they were going to do this. But the problem is, they would have the canal was going to be two and a half meters or more below the land they wanted to fix. So they needed a pumping system, which they didn't have. And the Dominican Republic responded strongly and sent a bunch of people up there and closed the border. And it's now costing both sides four million dollars a day about and so i'm hoping we can resolve it pretty soon wow that's the kind of things you do yeah well and it's interesting because sometimes when you do that a little thing big things happen i'll I'll just, just give you an example uh in 2005 after the terrible tsunami in asia which hit Indonesia the hardest, the western part of Indonesia. There was a long-standing, you know, ethnic conflict in the in the westernmost province, and yet they had to work together if they were going to put their lives back together, because more than two hundred thousand people were killed there. And when I asked, I agreed, the U.N. asked me to work there for two years, and I agreed, and but it was a wonderful experience. 
President Bush 41, and I, at the request of his son, went there and raised money to help them start. And then the U.N. asked if I would stay when all the cameras left, and I said, sure. So we worked, and and, and we got these folks together, and Starbucks uh, then had a young man working for them who had worked for me in the White House, and I'd known since he was four years old. He's from a little town in the Arkansas Ozarks, and he was working for Howard Schultz, who was then running the company. And they, he got Starbucks sent a bunch of people there to help them restore their coffee production. And they even had a special month where they served uh, coffee from Indonesia, from the from Aceh. So anyway, in the process of doing all this stuff, these folks got together and they solved their longstanding problem. And basically the, the area that was alienated got a measure of self-government, but they saw it was in their interest to stay uh, as a part of the country, and they did. And so a bigger thing happened because a smaller thing happened. And we tried to do the same thing in Sri Lanka, and we didn't quite succeed, but it was worth trying. You just got to, you have to have a high pain threshold if you want to do this stuff for the fact that uh, you may not succeed and your political victories may not be permanent. There aren't any permanent victories or defeats in politics. You know, you just got to keep going. Understood. Mr. President, uh, I've kept you on a long time, but we have so many more things to talk about, and I, I hope uh, you would come back uh, and, and discuss them because uh, the world needs your common sense, and and uh, uh, and I think we, between the two of us, I think we do a pretty good job at uh, uh, getting it out, and uh, I want to thank you uh, so much uh, for still being there for the American people, and and I hope our kids and grandkids uh, survive and, and our country survives. And, and uh, that's the blessing I'm looking for. And uh, when I see Cardinal yeah, Dolan, well, you know, I'm going to ask him for that. We've been, we've been friends a long time. You and Margo have been great to Hillary and me. And I've enjoyed being in your home. I've loved watching your kids grow up. And I, I always wish you well. And I think you're, you're always trying to do something that makes sense to you, and that's what we should all do. And when we disagree, we should be open and honest about it and then look for something we can do together. Uh, and I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, I think you know about this. I want to mention one more thing. One of the most fun things I do is a project with George W. Bush called the Presidential Leadership Scholars, and we picked uh, mid-career people, people mostly between the ages of 29 and their early 40s, uh, from a pool of people who apply to be part of the program. And the only requirement is that they have to do something besides their day job. They have to be something interested in something else, too. And he picks 30, I pick 30, and then they go to his library and mine and his dad's library and President Johnson's library in Texas, 
and studied leadership lessons, and they work in teams on problems. And then we have a graduation ceremony. We do this every year. We've done it for the last few years. And without fail, at the end of the ceremony, the Democrats go up to Bush and the Republicans come up to me and they thank us for bringing them together because they live in a world where they've been taught taught that basically everybody on the other side is some sort of an ogre. And they find out that we're all just people, and if we can agree with the we start with the end in mind, there's a very good chance that we can agree on a course forward. And that's that's what we have to do in America again. We got to start with the end in mind, and then do what makes sense. Mr. President, if you remember, uh, we used to run those uh, uh, dinners at the Jefferson Hotel. And uh, we ran yep. 20 or 30 of them, and I brought in Republicans. I brought in Democrats and Republicans. And I must, I, I would put my hand on the, on the Bible right now. Out of the 20 or 30 of them we had, uh, the 1,000 people we had attending those dinners, not one Republican, not one Democrat ever walked out uh, saying, I... I don't agree a hundred. I agree one hundred percent, and was a hundred percent satisfied, and 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 enjoyed our discussions. And and you give. Uh, I got to give you credit for that of bringing people together. Well, it's important, and it's more important now than ever because conflict wins elections in the short term, but cooperation wins the future. And we got to figure out a way to recover it. I agree 100%. We should continue our discussions again on another day. Uh, we have spent uh, almost an hour of the show, which is an hour show, and uh, thank you so much. And um, uh, God bless you. God bless your family. And and uh, may we, uh, how did Spock used to say, live long and prosper? May we both live long and try to help uh, uh, America, try to help the world. And, and, and thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, John. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.